Thanks for listening to this episode of the Manchester Historian podcast. Make sure to be following the Manchester Historian on all of our social media. That's Twitter, Instagram and Facebook to keep up with all of our news. Hello and welcome to the Manchester Historian podcast. My name is Wilf Kenning and I'm joined here today by Laura Alley and Will Kurz, editors of the magazine. Thank you for both joining us. We've decided to start this podcast as an extra platform for the magazine to enable those students who contribute with their articles to be able to reach out to a wider audience and develop the historical discussion from beyond the page. But before that, we're here today just to get a little bit more insight into what goes on behind the production of the magazine and to know a little bit more about those who run it. Uh, firstly, could you just tell us a little bit about yourselves? Hi, I'm Laura. Uh, I study American Studies here and I'm from London. Uh, I have always had a great interest in publishing and in journalism and uh, obviously American Studies is an interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary um, degree in which like kind of go anywhere from it so I've, I've really enjoyed doing a lot of like history modules of course but uh, politics and um, kind of anything you want <laughs> they have a module that does it. I don't know, at the moment particularly interested in a module we're doing, it's hip-hop studies. Looking at um, the issue now that's not only actually happening in the US but in the UK as well, where rap lyrics are being used to uh, basically put people in jail for crimes where there's very, very little evidence um, of them actually having done you know, the thing they're accused for. So I'm Will, I'm from Manchester and I study history and I want to be in the future a lecturer or certainly some sort of academic job. My dissertation is on IRA and Kerry in the 1910s and 1920s, so why did people get involved in Republican movements, violent movements, militant movements and why did they commit acts of violence? These two questions are very separate questions, so it's one thing to join a militant group and it's a wholly different thing to engage in violence and so that's my dissertation and uh, hopefully I'll take that through to my masters and if uh, I have good fortune my PhD. So when did you both become editors and have either of you had much experience in journalism or production beforehand whether in a uni respect or outside of uni? Um, I've always really um, kind of been interested in the whole like publishing field and that's kind of where I want to end up and so obviously that's why I went for the Manchester Historian to get a bit of like a feel for what it would actually be like but um, I think the reason why I got the job actually was because of experience that I've had before Um, so I did some work experience at The Guardian um, The Times and Penguin tip for anyone is just any kind of person who has any contacts in the field that you want to go through just annoy the hell out of them because that's literally how I got it and like a friend did something at the Guardian got the email sent them like multiple emails every week until eventually they were like okay fine Jesus um, and uh, yeah did actually the Guardian was probably not the funnest one seeing as they didn't really know what to do with me <laughs> but um, every now and again you can stumble across something amazing the times I went and worked in the political office in the House of Parliament um, and they, because it's a daily newspaper, that's definitely a better one to go for than The Guardian, which I was actually working at The Observer. So obviously it's a weekly paper, they have so much time to kind of like collect or you know do their research and all that, they don't really need an extra person, whereas uh, with a daily they always need extra hands. And so by the end, once you gain their trust a little bit, you know, have lunch with them a couple of times and show that you're vaguely intelligent, then, uh, yeah, they start to just give you anything that they're a bit stressed about. They're like, okay, you go do this research or whatever. And it was a really, really cool experience. 
Well, I've had experience in publishing and uh, editing for websites before, so one of my most recent projects was a co-authorship of the book with my uh, good friend Francis Pollan on the Soviet T-34 tank that's currently with the publishers um, to be released hopefully this summer, uh, shameless plug. Uh, that's a T-34 continuum provisional title, uh, available now. No. Um, and that was a, a book project that took most of my summer following second year of university. Uh, it was a book which was um, attempted to do multiple things. It was on the one hand a straight production history of this heterogeneous fighting vehicle which has previously not been tapped into by historians and um, military historians and, and such. To some extent it has been but uh, these studies are frequently flawed. New evidence has become available especially through uh, one of our major hobbies, the collection of German Second World War private photographs because the, the Germans went to war with a, a rifle in one hand and a camera in the other. And these uh, photographs and albums are broken up by various sellers and are sold now at auction individually and you can pick these up and uh, we can do history with these sorts of, I mean it has a lot to do with archaeology, we establish a typology of these uh, uh, vehicles using uh, photographs of the Germans who either fought against them or more commonly came across them when they were moving across the Soviet Union. Um, so that was one project I was involved in. Uh, previously, again with Francis Paul and I'd edited the, uh, the book, which is available now. Uh, Fallen Giants, the combat debut of the T-35A heavy tank, and uh, that was a book which likewise chronicled the production history of this vehicle, but also uh, had, uh, it was a combat story as well, so it talked about how these things fought in the early stages of 1941, which is an area frequently glossed over by Soviet-era historians, and uh, even today is still not fully understood, so those were my two publishing uh, experiences, uh, hopefully do more soon. And I've previously worked for websites such as Plain Encyclopedia, Tanks Encyclopedia, um, editing articles there, authoring quite a few myself, uh, but chiefly just editorship uh, for those things, making sure the website runs smoothly and uh, training upon new recruits. So then what made you actually get interested in getting involved with the Manchester Historian? You've both had a lot of experience and a lot of interest clearly. What made you want to get involved in this you know, specific magazine? Well, I was told by uh, Dr. John Morgan, who's a lecturer in early modern history at the, at the university, and he said to me, "Will you, you know, you love your history, um, you know, beyond university studies as well. You, you know, you live and breathe this. Why don't you get involved in the Manchester Historian?" And I was aware of the magazine, but had never previously got involved. I mean, I was told, you know, throughout the year when I was doing his module um, on early modern Europe, you know, you should write something for them. You should write something for them, and I just, it just never. I just never got around to it, and then I finally got the email saying we're open for applications, so I um, put my application in, and lo and behold, I became editor. Um, but I've always been interested in trying to write a magazine. I think it's a, a really good experience. You know, can you work with a team, and can you produce? I mean, above all, is being able to produce something that looks as good as it does, especially our issue thirty-one, war, conflict, and violence. You know. When we got those off the printing press, we were all so proud, especially the design team, uh, for, for what came out. It just it looked good. And I think just having that in your hands, we, you know, we were all so excited and pleased with the result. And again, looking forward to two more this year. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. I think the just that sense of achievement of creating something that I'm obviously, like my past experience shows that I have a passion in, kind of journalism and, and publishing in general. And, but I've always been 
the outsider coming in and just like watching how it works and I thought it'd just be so much cooler to be able to show something for myself so show like I can also create something rather than just being told what to do and then you know doing it <laughs> <laughs> You've both clearly been involved in the process, you know, as editors, from quite a direct perspective. You've got a lot of skills and experience. Could you tell us, you know, what the process of actually producing this magazine is? You know, how lengthy is it? Which departments are involved? And you know, probably how stressful is it in the long run? Well, each team is operating semi-autonomously. Um, to put that in more clear terms, what we really mean is each team has its own jobs and functions. So our design team puts the magazine together. They do all the design work in terms of the front cover, in terms of the layout of the pages, uh, the way the images are put. Our online team runs the website and the, the new podcast service. Um, and they also liaise with our marketing team, which chiefly deals with social media, um, emails, and marketing, yeah, as the team name would imply. Uh, the one crucial team which is often uh, overlooked is the copy edit team. Now these people get our articles off of our uh, submissions. Um, they get the articles from people who submit, uh, which isn't chiefly students, and they edit them and proofread them and then they finally you know, craft them into uh, something that your design team can then put into the magazine. Which is a lot harder of a job than you would think. Seeing as you want to, I mean, we have always put a big emphasis on keeping the original author's voice within yeah. the piece and not trying to over edit to the point where maybe a line sounds a little bit better than it might have before, but it loses some of the original author's touch. And so, actually, them kind of striking a balance between a well written piece and something that is still like original, um, it's, it's a really hard thing to do. And also just fact-checking, I mean, some yeah. of the articles we have are really esoteric pieces. I'm thinking things like the you know, Vietnamese boat people, not a very well-known topic. Art history pieces especially, because you know, a lot of us are history students. We're not as well-versed in art history as you might think, so mm. the makings of socialist realism in 19th century Russia, a very difficult topic. Uh, fortunately, one I've been engaging with in a, a third-year module, but not everybody's going to be involved in these sorts of um, fields. Uh, environmental history as well, um, a big you know, upcoming topic in our next issue, issue 32, religion, culture and environment. Not everybody knows about these fields, so it's, it's the copy edit team, props yeah. to them, they really work hard to do their fact checking and to do their usual proofreading. proofreading. Yeah. I think our goal that is trying to like, kind of have a really wide scope of, um, you know, time periods, like different topics, like all of this stuff from all around the world, means that, yeah, me and Will and often even the co-editing team don't have the kind of like expertise and so there's a lot of work around researching and fact-checking and making sure that everything's good. I mean, I'm very fortunate that the History V100 programme, uh, which is a very good programme, it allows you to have that scope. So I've done archaeology modules, I've done uh, classics modules, I've done Russian studies modules, and you could have done many others in between. And so that's one of the real reasons uh, at the start of the year, Laura and I agreed, let's have as much geographical, temporal, and mm. as, you know, uh, approach scope that we can possibly have because it's worth doing, because no one wants to keep reading the same rehashed history of all oh, the women of World War I who were forgotten. Well, they're not forgotten. It's been 20 years since we've had a historiographical revolution. Let's move on to more esoteric topics, such as 
the environmental history of Korea, which we'll cover with our interview with Dr. Lee in issue 32. Let's look at other things, you know, uh, such as uh, anti-clericalism in Spain, for example, which used to be a big topic back when Paul Preston's polemics were released, um, fighting against Spanish nationalist historians, but has since been forgotten. So it's not just about new fields, it's returning to the ones which have been forgotten and seeing if we can pull things out of those as well. So discussions of Orientalism, for example, since Edward Said's book, they've certainly developed, but uh, in our issue 32, let's look at Said's original piece, is a book review on that. So sort of actually in terms of producing the magazine, you know, you, you've clearly outlined, you've got a great understanding and idea of where you want the magazine to go. In terms of sort of managing production, is there anything that you've you know, really learned? I think like, as well has been saying, like, the history department here is so amazing and so many of the submissions that we get are fantastic. A bit of an issue is just all of the admin that it takes. I didn't realise how much work it is separate from the creation of the actual magazine to get something like this up and running and, and printed and out there and distributed and you know getting permissions from the university to do various things. Like It's, it's a lot of work. It's an unfortunate feature of modernity, which is mm. a concept which we'll deal with throughout the uh, year in our magazines. Um, that bureaucracy is such an important mm. feature of the modern world and um, there is certainly a lot of bureaucracy to do. Some of the gears turn very slowly sometimes, but I mean, I mean this is all part and parcel of running a, a magazine like this. Yeah. It's a student magazine. But on the quality of submissions, I think our biggest problem is the word counts because mm. we can't expect a student to write a two and a half thousand word piece, especially if they've got three modules that year or even a dissertation like many of us do. So what we have to do is ask them to either write very, very specific pieces on really clear things or they have to take a very light brush and look at a field you know, very briefly. And that does sometimes cause problems, which is hence one of the reasons we have a podcast service yeah. is because if you're passionate about a topic and you don't feel 450 or 900 words, will do it justice, which they certainly won't. Mm. This is a good opportunity now to talk even more about it. It's a, it's a great new platform, especially if you don't like writing. Come and talk about something that you're passionate about if you really don't feel you get your point across in, in your articles, or if you just haven't had time to submit an article for us. This could take two minutes, it could take 20. It's yeah, really you could always you go through our old article briefs that are all on Facebook. Um, and if there's anything that you know somebody didn't write about, didn't pick up on that you know, a lot about or at least you're just passionate about you could just come and uh, speak to us and we could get a podcast with you going or indeed if you want to refute something which somebody has said or mm. maybe they rehashed a thesis which is uh, long outdated or has, has been widely debated uh, in, in historiography absolutely I mean I can see pieces where I would think well I mean I'd like to put an editor's note here we don't have the space but it's certainly something I, I would like to see and I'm sure other people would have similar ideas as well Touched on it a bit with your sort of reference to the Dr. Lee interview and some of the other features of articles that are coming up throughout the year. Can you just tell us a little bit more about the upcoming issue? So issue 32 is religion, culture and environment and that's the strange triumvirate is religion, culture and environment because we originally envisaged religion, culture and society but I just thought that's a little bit bland. I mean the trouble with issue 31 thought it was a little bit too focused. So we included environment in issue 32 in addition to religion and culture because it just gives that wider scope and we certainly do have uh, a lot of environmental issues and what we, what we didn't yeah. know, which is around December time we came up with this idea, or we at least uh, agreed as a team, was that there were going to be so many environmental protests across Europe and indeed in Manchester in recent days. And 
that means it's more relevant than ever. Of course, we need only look at recent headlines yeah. and uh, certain uh, cabinet movements t- in, in both America and uh, the United Kingdom to see how important environment is. Um, but religion and culture as well. I mean, religion especially, what with the recent shakedown in the Vatican over sexual abuse scandals and uh, the Rohingya crisis in Myanmar as well. Those sorts of issues are involved. And whilst we're not going to focus on those issues, I think it's important to have a platform to discuss religious, cultural, environmental issues, and indeed history in the magazine. So things that we want to look forward to, uh, certainly the Dr. Lee interview, he's a, a research fellow here he's focusing on environmental history of Korea at the Choson dynasty. That's going to be a very good piece to read because so many issues get brought up there. So the importance of environmental history as a field, the cultural legacy of the Mongolian invasions in Korea, these sorts of things. So it's not just a case of let's just look at environmental history. It's what else does environmental history bring to the broader field of history as a whole. Yeah, because we have articles like this in the Shia split where they are, I don't know, there's so many links to now. And I think it's a really important thing to be doing because obviously like we have a lot of papers around the university that are politics, that are kind of, you know, you have the Mancunian and all of these things that are a lot more modern. And I know that last year they tended to have more of a focus on the now, whereas we have kind of made it very clear that we're a history magazine. But... I, I still think that, that it allows us to look at the presence, but no, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm trying to... The thing is, is that all history is a product of its time, and you can absolutely see this in absolutely any field. But what we don't want to do is stress too much focus on the present day. So, I mean, absolutely, you can refer to the present day in articles, but what we don't want is a political science magazine. We don't want a contemporary observer magazine. We want a history magazine. And again, as I say, all history is a product of its time. So, for example, that Sunni Shia split article, it says, well, we learn a lot about Martin Luther in school, but we should be also be looking at the roots of the Sunni Shia split. Now, that's plain and simple, a present-day political opinion, mm. but it still makes it into a magazine because it's relevant. And then you can draw your own links between the stuff that we're publishing and then what you think about our present day. You know, obviously, they're not just sitting kind of lone pieces that have nothing mm. to do with the rest of the world. Like, you can take from it what you want. But we don't want to, like, make the kind of links ourselves as much as just giving you the history. Many thanks to Laura Mill for joining us. And just a reminder to all those listening to keep up with our social media, that's Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, to make sure you know all the details for our upcoming launch party of Issue 32, Religion, Culture and Environment. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers.